crisis sometimes creates different opportunities. And it's, you know, I think you still got to take advantage of those and look at those uh, even during uh, these times. It is strange. It is difficult. I'd like it to be different, but you've got to work within the box that you have. And as accountants, we tend to do that really well. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Have you ever decided to take a new job during a chaotic period, like a pandemic? How do you transition a team from working in an office to working from home? How painful was it at first when you were trying to conduct a meeting virtually and your team didn't know how to mute themselves along with other etiquette issues? How determined are you to meet your goal, even if it takes you an extra 100 days? Well, my guest today is Don Craig, Chief Financial Officer at the engineering firm of Hadley Aldrich. And he is going to share his story as it relates to those questions and more. Here's a little bit more about Don. Don is a Canadian CPA, FCPA, who's been in various finance and leadership roles for over 25 years. A dozen years ago, he took his talents and a very young family to Boston in a failed attempt to adopt a new accent. In June 2020, he decided to make the major job change into the throes of a pandemic and became CFO of Halley Aldrich, a 725-person engineering firm based in the Boston area. Drawn on his lifelong love of comedy and improv, Don is recognized for his dynamic and engaging and almost entertaining communication and his passionate dislike of bullet points. An avid runner since his 40th birthday, Don has qualified for the Boston Marathon twice. He relates the discipline and visioning required in a successful marathon training to achieve great feats in other work and life areas. He also owns a dog, or the dog owns him. Only time will tell. As you can tell by his bio, Don has a great sense of humor and is the type of CFO everyone would want to work for. Before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? 
Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders. A story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on-site at your location, or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now let's get to the interview with Don Craig. Hey, welcome back, everybody. So I get a lot of requests from podcast brokers or other folks to be guests on my show. And I sift through these and I received an email from one of my listeners, which always raises my eyebrows. Like, okay, it's not my mom. So there's actually somebody other than my mom who's listening to this. And I I read this gentleman's introduction to me and I said, I got to have this guy on my show. So first and foremost, Don, Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be part of my podcast, and thank you for being a listener. Oh, thanks. It's a it's a true pleasure to be here. It's uh, something I've been waiting, hoping to get a chance to do, hoping I had a, something compelling to talk to you about that uh, one day I could join you on this. I'm very excited, and I uh, get a chance to do it on Zoom and actually uh, see you, so this is nice. This is nice. And, and, and before we get into some of the details, as I was doing some research on you, I went to your LinkedIn profile, and... One of when you're talking when you're talking about yourself, there's a sentence that says, "Key strengths in communication and public speaking: expand the ability to effectively deliver key messages when doing presentations or leading training." And what I need to look up it. Oh, he's a CFO. Uh, yeah. He has his credentials uh, uh, from Canada. You're Canadian. You don't see that very often on a CPAs or. CMA or Canadian or U.S. And that also intrigued me about you. So I had to have you on, on, on my podcast. So I do know a little bit about you. Let's go back to January of this year. Seems like it was like yesterday. But then again, it seems like it was five years ago. <laughs> so what were you doing around January of this year? Wow. Yeah, I, I that. I do feel like I was five years younger at that point. <laughs> and actually, if I can advance it, I'll tell you what I was doing in February because January was pretty boring. January was a typical January in Boston. So we were probably just complaining about the weather and things like that. But in February, I actually went to Ethiopia. Oh. And uh, the reason I did that is, was my sister's 50th birthday. And she goes there, gosh, probably a dozen times doing mission work. And I thought, well, for her 50th birthday, best gift I can give her is I'll go join her and help her and see what she does there. And so I was actually yeah, working in Addis Ababa and uh, having you know just a truly life-changing experience and uh, working with um, various missions that work with street kids, bringing street kids into uh, places where they can be safe and then transitioned uh, into just whether it's families or reunited with families. And just was incredibly humbling and uh, 
And as a runner, I also run. I also got to do some runs in Ethiopia with Ethiopians. So that was true bucket list type of thing. (laughs) And it, it did allow me that chance just to kind of reflect a little bit of, okay, what do I do in life? Where do I add value? Do I have meaning? It was it was kind of one of those strange and really valuable times. And so we spent nine days there. And then I came back. And uh, one of the things that I got when I came back was a call from a headhunter uh, out of the blue who said, uh, would you be interested in this role with this company? It's a CFO role. And uh, I you know, said, okay, they said, send me a resume. And like, I don't have a resume. I haven't had to apply for a job in 20 years. So uh, anyway, they went onto the link, same LinkedIn profile that you saw. And maybe it was that same line that you read that they liked. I'm not sure. But uh, started meeting with this company called Alien Aldrich and uh, in the same firm. So I was with a company called Stantec, um, which uh, you know, 20,000 person engineering firm that took me from Canada to the U.S., and I'd spent about 15 years there and worked my way up to a senior vice president of finance for our North American operations. So I was leading a team of 390 people in the finance group, uh, supporting $3.6 billion of revenue uh, as an organization. Mm-hmm. And through talking with uh, this Headhunter, and then with the people at this other company, I got intrigued by the idea of reflecting back to my time in in Ethiopia, even of where can I add more value? Have I become a little bit complacent uh, in various parts of my life? And that's when I thought, well, maybe you should try this. Uh, maybe I should give this a shot. And I think I'll regret it in five years. And that that's kind of a key thing. Is that what do you what do you think you might regret down the road? And so, yeah, on March. Uh, so we went into lockdown in Boston on March 24th or so, and March 28th, I agreed to <laughs> accept their offer <laughs> uh, with a caveat that I would start June 1st. Okay. And, uh, you know, so I had that eight or so weeks to uh, transition and to work through that. And, you know, it was interesting because it's one of those things I was thinking of your, you know, I guess there's a couple of points there is, you know, Opportunities are going to arise even in the midst of chaos. Right. But one of the things I was thinking of was one of the improv activities that you actually do. Um, the the one about the uh, the yes and or the uh, no because. Right. And I was really pondering that of okay, I could say no to this because it's an absolutely crap time of a world right now to be doing something, and you know, no, because I might not be the right guy for this. And I really tried hard to change that into, well, yes, and this could be really exciting, and yes, this could re-energize me, uh, and yes, I could maybe influence some more different people. Maybe I'd, uh, you know, I've kind of did that with the team I had at Stantec. Maybe it's time to try it with the team here at Haley and Aldrich. And so that was kind of a, you know, an interesting way to, to look at it. But uh, the question was, was this courageous or crazy? <laughs> is the jury still out? The jury is still out. I don't <laughs> think the jury will be fully in for until you know, four or five years. But I'm going with courageous for now. But people were asking me, half the people would say you're crazy and half the people would say, yeah, it's kind of, that's kind of a courageous thing to do. Changing jobs in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. In, in Boston. 
And your thick Boston accent just uh, <laughs> permeates through here. Um, <laughs> it's a combo of the Canadian accent and the Boston accent. So we kind of do holiday. I'm not sure. <laughs> I still don't get the accent here. <laughs> My wife's from Worcester. Worcester? So, yeah, Worcester. We, we, we haven't been there uh, in about a year with, with everything. But of course. If she goes up and spends three days there, she's packing a car in the yard when she gets home. <laughs> I haven't quite figured out how it went that the R's moved to the end. And yeah. we've we've tried to resist it. There was a day my daughter came to me and said, Dad, I have a great idea. And I said, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how the R's moved to the end either because I hear when early on when I was in the banking business, uh, my administrative assistant, from the Upper East Coast would put an R at the end of Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta. Well, what, this, no, there's not an R at the end of that at, at all. You can just end at A. Yeah, it yeah can, just, you can do that. That's fine. That's the Canadian, that's the Canadian way. Just end well, That's a. the Canadian way. End at A. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my, my first question, so you, you put in your notice, you're there for eight weeks in the middle of this pandemic. All the while, are you? Do you have your toe in over here at um, Haley and Aldrich, or is it completely separate at that point? You know, between you and me and your listeners, yeah, there was a toe in there. Um, I, I really wanted to use the opportunity because it was so much time that I felt it was good to get to know the organization, and frankly, because you know, I I was saving time that I would have normally been commuting or traveling somewhere. Like, I think I've got some capacity to do this. And I think that was, you know, really helpful. I know it's not always doable when you go through a career transition, but I, I really feel like getting just that chance to create a few contacts, let people know who you are and get through some of that initial learning was really helpful so that when I hit the ground, well, hit the Zoom calls on June 1st, <laughs> um, you know, that I could start to speak the same language. I could transition the acronyms. You know, I no longer was saying WIP. I was doing NBR and, and those kind of things. And I, so I really do feel that that was helpful. At the same point, I was able to spend the time diligently transitioning my old role. And, and I, I feel as finance leaders, it's really critical, you know, that you, you, know, you don't want to burn bridges. And when you've been with an organization a long time and you care about it, you really feel that need to leave it in a good place. So I was very diligent around um, how I left. And I told the CFO that uh, you know I was going to do it in a way that when I left, nobody would notice. And hopefully I managed to do that uh, there. So it was a good balance. Okay. So uh, when, when this pandemic hit and, and Boston shut down and, and Massachusetts shut down, what was the biggest challenge you had in your role? At that point in time, other than trying to maintain sanity, <laughs> <laughs> I think there were two. One is, you know, transitioning a team. You know, again, going back to Stantec, I was had a team of 390, of which 388 uh, didn't used to work from home. So within three, like, because my team was around North America, but pretty much when Boston shut down, all of my team was starting to work from home. So that was really the biggest transition is what's going to happen when all these people are just working from home? Are they going to just be sitting in their pajamas uh, all day? Yeah, I started just think, worrying about everything from their health to their sanity to their productivity. And 
you know, I th- so I think that was just the biggest challenge is just that concern of how would people react to this. And I was really impressed, and you may have seen this, but I was really impressed with how well people have done um, through this, how they've been able to respond to it, how they've been able to be productive and take advantage of the time. For me, it worked the other way. I found I was actually working longer because I could no longer delineate uh, work from home. And it really took some time to realize that I had to try to figure out a way to do that, uh, Mm -hmm. to block that off. So that was probably the big challenge. And I think just the, you know, suddenly things just stop. Things that you had planned to do with work had stopped. And how do you recreate those? And I think companies are really still trying to figure that out. Uh, Yeah, I I, I believe they are, you know, as people keep saying. So, you know, we went into a recession. We kind of know about the time frame that we might come out of that. We we knew that, what we didn't know, but during 9-11, that was an event that, Sparked a lot of things, but we kind of had an idea where this might get back to some normal. We don't have that idea right now. And this is what a lot of people are saying that they're coming to, they're coming to realize this isn't a two week event. This isn't a two month event. Uh, this could, this more than likely from what I'm hearing from the, from the experts, we're going to be in 2021. It's some point before maybe we get back to what it was before. But in mm-hmm. thinking about the, your 388 people working from home, my, my one question is, because I, I think of engineers, I think I'm with the big screens and they're doing all the, did you have to go out and purchase laptops for everybody as a company <laughs> so they can work remotely? Uh, there, there was some of that. We definitely did have to make some quick uh, actions to be able to facilitate people to work from home. The craziest thing I remember both seeing and hearing was most people, okay, they had a laptop, great, but they didn't have, you know, multiple monitors and enough cameras. So uh, I remember being in the Boston office during one of the last days and just this seeing people wheeling the monitors on chairs down to their cars as they transitioned it. Um, so yeah, you had to, you know, you're dealing with monitors, you're dealing with docking stations, dealing with cameras, you're dealing with uh, these microphones um, that that we have, and yeah, that takes a significant, you know, dollar wise, it's not a massive investment, but just the time and and then you got to worry about how people use it because you've been on the infamous Zoom Zoom or Skype or Teams calls where mm-hmm. people don't know where the mute button is. <laughs> Uh, they should have had it on and maybe sometimes they shouldn't have had it on. Um, so yeah, so no, you have to make those things. Now I'm with you in terms of the duration of this. And what I find interesting is, yeah, that people are kind of adapting to it and they're actually enjoying it um, more or less. I think uh, unless you have young kids, I'm fortunate I don't have the, you know, the, the two and four year olds running around as if this, if this would have happened 12 years ago. Um, but you know, I think the good thing, if this, if there's a positive of this whole thing, it's that the tools are available today. If this would have happened and you know, go all the way back to you know 2001, when we had 9/11. You know, the tools weren't there to try and do this. So now it is, and I think people are able to learn the tools quickly and realize how that can engage with people. So there's it's it's different relationships, different engagement going on. And that, that's, you know, one of the interesting challenges of starting with something new is I have yet to meet the person who hired me, uh, the CEO, Haley and Aldrich. So he keeps on quipping that uh, he hired his CFO virtually. 
And we've established a relationship. Unfortunately, he thinks I'm two feet, four inches tall because we only <laughs> never meet on Skype. But one day we'll meet. And yeah, I've had to meet my whole team. I've now go, gone from a team of 390 to a team of 33. And I've uh, started to meet them all virtually. And you know, we, we're starting to establish some of that. And I've heard of companies doing cool things like you know Zoom happy hours. And just things like that, Zoom coffee break, Zoom, you know, water cooler talks. And sorry to keep using Zoom. I, I don't know if they sponsor the podcast or not, but <laughs> but I think those are new norms that people are going to come up with and enable us to get through 2021, uh, hopefully in one piece. Here's something interesting that I've been hearing from from organizations, uh, from from firms to even those in business. Okay, to your point, I thought everybody's going to be home in their slippers, in their pajamas, eating bonbons, watching Ellen, and not being productive. But they have found themselves realizing my people might be even more productive now than they were when they were in the office. So do I need this overhead? Do I need this real estate footprint mm -hmm. that can we mirror what we're doing now when we get back to that point? Can I shed some of this overhead and do something else with it? I think that's a really interesting conversation that's happening. But on the other side, there's companies out there that need their people in-house. But for at least for maybe a short period of time, or even sometime even after that, they'll need more room because they, they might not want to be even sitting that close to each other. Maybe we don't need six feet, but let people spread out a little bit more and they might need more commercial real estate. So it, in 2022, 23, it'll be interesting what the commercial real estate market's doing and, and companies like yourself, the professional service firms. I mean, people can work from home. We don't have to be gathered in one space. Yeah, it is interesting. And I've heard that a lot and I'm on the fence. I'll be honest with you. So you know, we, we talk about even the space that Haley and Aldrich has and start looking at that. And the natural instinct that comes up is, yeah, we should only need half the space going forward because people can, you know, work from home or hotel or whatever. And I, and I do see that. I guess the part that I'll be interested to see is, do people still need that connection? Do people still need to see each other face to face? to walk down the hall and have those ad hoc conversations and establish the relationships where I get to know, you know, your family because there's a picture of, you know, your somebody you know on your desk and I ask a question about that. And I guess I'm not old school in many ways at all. I consider myself to be younger than I am, but I, I just tend to think that people will want that. And I think we'll have to find a way to accommodate it. So I'm not in a rush to slash office space or anything like that. Um, one, just the economic <laughs> implications of that I'm a little bit worried about. But but two is I think we just need to take some time because I don't think we're going to see that kind of change happen so quickly. But it, it does change the dynamics. And I do know some people on my team are adamant of maybe it's just fear right now, but they, they don't want to go back to working in an office with 50 people in, on a floor. Right. Right, and and I I agree with you on the uh, the thing that's missing is that true networking, that true human interaction, mm -hmm. um, and I, I think I I think it might turn into more of a blended type of environment because there there's some there's some folks in our profession who really don't want to don't like people, 
<laughs> who, who like the numbers and, and the spreadsheets and stuff and don't really want to have that yeah. interaction. Uh, and then there's others who, who do. So I, it might be this interesting blend that, that occurs uh, and involves over time. But let me ask you this question. What challenges do you see moving forward? Like you mean with staffing and with well, yeah with, 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 well yeah from the staffing perspective okay uh, what new challenges do you see moving forward? I see a couple. That's a great question. I think that there's three real ones. If you think about your role as you know leader of people, one is to hire the right people. So how does that change the hiring? And I think that is a you know a new challenge. Yes, I got hired remotely, so I'm going to learn a lot about that. Um, but uh, you know, being able to understand fit and all that that you get from an in-person uh, interview, et cetera. So hiring is going to be a key one. Now that also creates interesting opportunities where maybe that person doesn't have to be you know based in Boston. Uh, I could go find the person out there in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is around how do you manage people? So how do you really know what they're doing? Uh, all day, um, if you can't, you know, travel to see them, etc. So, working on establishing that rhythm of knowing what people are doing and are they working on the things you want to do, it's really going to be critical on how you are communicating expectations and getting that feedback from people. Um, and then, you know, I think the third one is just how do you establish the priorities and um, progress as a team. Uh, we're working on right now an implementation of a new ERP uh, in Haley and Aldrich. And normally you would have you know 50 people in a room doing user training. This is all going to be virtual and this is new for the vendor as well. Mm. But how do we establish and coordinate that when everybody's working from home, everybody's doing it? And I don't know if you know, it's different to be in a six hour comp training room uh, live and going through something. Six hours uh, teams call going through training is is a lot different. So I think those those are the big challenges we're going to have. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and as you were saying saying that, I, I my mind went to the way I see the world of applied improvisation as the mm. foundation of respect, trust, and support. Because you how how do I trust that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? Because I don't have my eyes on you. I, right. I still I tell the story when I first got my first uh, as my father said real job because Greek and restaurants but working in an office and, and working at a bank, he said, "Well, you get there before your boss gets there. If you got to go to the bathroom, you pick up a file and you walk walk with it, and you be the last one out, or at least after your boss, so they see you, that that visibility." And now we don't have that, so it really becomes setting those expectations, holding people accountable, will help build that that trust level that. Yeah. And it'll also determine areas that we need to focus on or people need to focus on to help figure out wow, what's getting in the way. It's just yeah. that they, may have, they may have young children at home. So how do you, how do you multitask? Oh, excuse me. There's no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it comes to the, to, the, to the deep work, the hard work that we need to do. Uh, and I, I think that's all there as well as I, uh, I I had to flip one of my presentations, and we couldn't find. I wanted to, it was an eight hour. I wanted to put it in two pieces on two different days. We couldn't make it work, so I had to do the full eight hours on Zoom to fifteen people. And I 
I've been doing this for a long time and I just went, I can keep them engaged. I know the tools and stuff to keep them engaged. You know, send them to breakout room, have them do chat, have them mm-hmm. do this other stuff, get the conversation going. But because I've been doing this for five years, but those who are just now getting into this and have no idea, that's where the bit, another challenge is, is how they keep your team engaged, even for a two-hour training or a five-hour <laughs> training. And, and, and you know what ERP stands for, don't you? Uh, <laughs> what? <clears throat> Entities reoccurring problem. Because <laughs> I've never seen an ERP system go smoothly from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, this is the first time I'm doing one uh Virtually, I hate using that term virtual. I think between that and social distancing, those are two terms I can't wait to uh, unload in 2022. But, <laughs> but your point around the improv is what what really um, works in improv is that immediate feedback, whether that's a laugh or a groan or applause or booing, whatever it might be. And it's hard to re- replicate that in your teams and in doing presentations. So yeah, when I've been doing presentations uh, now and everybody's on mute, so even if you say something, you're not getting a response. And I'm finding that really challenging because that's part of a key part of my engagement is how do I connect with people and how do I get them to respond to what I, w- I want them to hear? And that absence sometimes is tough. Sometimes you get the person takes off mute and, <laughs> but that's just not as effective. So we're, I think uh, I'm hoping that we'll learn to figure out ways to do that. And I'm going to be interested to learn from people like you on, you know, how do you, how can you make that work a little better? How can you adapt uh, that style um, in the absence of that kind of the, the normal feedback? Well, I was trained and I, I started years ago, many years ago doing stand up, And when I would tell a joke early on, it was crickets. So, so I'm kind of used to that. So what I do is, especially if I know it's a, if it's a, if it's a good joke that I have used in the past, I got to laugh. And I was, I know you guys are on mute. You're laughing hysterically inside because <laughs> we tend to be introverts. You're just all laughing right yeah. here inside and just kind of, you know, just kind of playing with it and just viewing, even though they're, they're on zoom or Cisco WebEx or, go to meeting, if you can keep them engaged through your tone, through humor, through how you structure your, your slides, if you're using them, mm-hmm. they'll pay attention at least 80% of the time. It's just getting them to focus at, uh, that 20%. Um, and that would, that will probably be the challenge for, for a bit, especially as it relates to uh, 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 virtual training. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'll be very curious to get the lessons out of this over the next little while. And I think the main thing that we're trying to apply is what you were mentioning earlier is just, okay, how do we break things up in this logical way so that people can take something, digest it, uh, and then be able to provide some feedback at a later point, you know, the next day or whatever. So. We'll work that. And joys of working from home, you hear my dog. So my apologies. Oh, no, no. What, what type of dog? That is our mini mini golden doodle. Uh, mini golden doodle. Mini golden doodle Tucker. So yeah, he's uh, he's a he's a cute fur ball. But uh, if there's a UPS guy, a male person, <laughs> a random dog, uh, that's what will happen. So my apologies on that. But that that is this is what happens now. 
No worries. I have a chocolate lab and a uh, a black lab. And same thing, UPS, anybody walks by, they think they see somebody walking by, they'll start barking. I know it's UPS or, or, or FedEx. If the barking gets louder and louder and louder, yeah. it <laughs> drop it off. Like, okay, that's, that's who that is. <laughs> Just not some random person person walking down walking down the street or anything like that. So, in thinking about all of this and, and moving forward, I mean, you, you're two months into this new job, mm-hmm. uh, into this we'll call it an experiment. <laughs> okay, yeah, I like that. But but it, it sounds like that you've assimilated rather well. I, I love the approach that you took. Let me get in there and understand their language mm-hmm. because you're used to WEP and you use another acronym that they use. And it's, it's, that's always a big challenge is every organization has a different language, a different acronym set. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I did some work for target construction a couple years ago and I trying to understand their language. I said, can you see me a list of acronyms that you guys have? <laughs> eight pages, oh. <laughs> eight pages. And, and some of them were STD and I didn't want to ask. Oh, wow. <laughs> there were some interesting points, and I, I turned it in, with some help from my comedic friends. We turned that into some humor, but it, it's you got ahead of the curve by not having one to commute, by having that that's, that somewhat free time that you could start networking your way mm-hmm. into the organization to have that to understand their language. So when you get there, you're already ahead of the game versus just trying to get ramped up. Yeah, I think I. I, I... I think especially when you're at this level, I think it's just important that you're demonstrating the willingness and the commitment to what you've signed up for. And that's really what I was trying to do with it is, uh, and you know, it's tough. You're you're trying to balance uh, two things there, but I just felt, you know, organizations are so different, even though you're in the same industry, uh, you do see there are those differences, especially when you're going from, you know, 22,000 people to 650. I don't. I can't do the math right now. Whatever that is, one fifteenth the size. Um, and somebody's going to correct me on that. But uh, but I also had to think about that. Like, how do I transition? You know, I'm used to thinking. Okay, when this happens, it goes to this department, and four people there will take care of it. Well, now when I'm coming over here, I got to think. When that happens, it's actually going to be. Hmm, well, it's going to be me. Who's going to be taking that? So. I need to be prepared for that right from the start. Now, you know, I will say I've been blessed with, uh, you know, the outgoing CFO is retiring, but he's sticking around to the end of the year to lead this uh, ERP integration and to uh, hold my hand. Um, so that's been that's been great, and so that gives me a lot of comfort. But uh, yeah, it's been it has been a very interesting two months. I'd, I'd say the the most interesting or the, the weirdest part of it. Let me say the weirdest part, and just to tie up the pandemic thing is in my last day at Stantec, worked till about 5.30 that day. My wife thought I was crazy. Your last day and you're working till 5.30. I took this. I took a computer and I logged off and I moved it over to the left. And I took a computer out of the box on Monday morning off the right and I put it on the same spot. And I logged on as Haley and Aldrich. And it was, you know, there wasn't the goodbye beers. There wasn't the, uh, you know, the slap on the backs and don't let the door hit you kind of thing. And then there wasn't the big welcome dawn, you know, into the office and spend an hour shaking people's hands. Do you remember shaking hands? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't shaken a hand in months. Um, 
So, yeah, so, you know, those things were different, but all I can suggest, you know, for people might be listening, because I know this hasn't been, you know, I'm not unique in this, is, you know, crisis sometimes creates different opportunities. And it's, you know, I think you still got to take advantage of those and look at those uh, even during uh, these times. It is strange. It is difficult. I'd like it to be different, but you've got to work within the box that you have. And as accountants, we tend to do that really well. So, uh, you know, I think I, I feel great about the decision um, because I think in all this, it's actually given me this new purpose and this new energy that maybe I wouldn't have had uh, if I just would have been staying with my existing role and doing good work at Stantec. But uh, I think this has been helpful for my mental state uh, during this. So again, if you can find something during this that changes you, excites you, I'd really encourage people to do that. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's always a silver lining mm-hmm. out there. And innovation and creativity uh, have been... People have gotten very creative with stuff. They've, 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 they've seen things through a, a brighter lens. And if so, okay, well, let's accept this fact. How can we make it better? What can we do? Uh, and I've been working on my business, and I, my speaking business is down considerably. Mm-hmm. I, haven't been a, I haven't been in an airplane since January, and I don't plan on being in an airplane until <laughs> maybe late 2021. Uh, <laughs> but I'm okay with this. Uh, I think the biggest challenge that we're having is my wife is seeing a lot more of me than she ever has over the last 10-plus years because I'm home more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I tease her. I said, "You're not going to Home Depot today for a shovel, are you?" <laughs> she goes, "No, but if you ask me one more time, I'm going to." Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, through this, there's there's a lot of things that we can innovate. And if you just yep. take that 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 approach, that yes, and what can we do with it? Versus, mm-hmm. oh, I can't do this because no, because. Of- yeah. Because of because of some reason, uh, you mentioned earlier that you were a runner. Have you always been a runner? No. Um, so you know, first of all, yeah, I was the I was the fat geeky kid growing up. So uh, the only sport I did in Canada growing up, I was actually really good at it. Was curling. Really? So if you ever need any curling lessons, I'm your guy. Okay. It, it's it used to be the only sport where you could bring your drink on the ice. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so, but no, when I moved to, I didn't run. And then I, I moved to Boston and people run here. There's a little event that goes on. <laughs> so I kind of got the bug when I got here and I turned 40 and when I moved here and I thought, well, maybe I should start running a guy. I know uh, he got me into it. So I'll blame him. And yeah, just started almost like Forrest Gump's like, well, I just started to run. <laughs> and uh, I started doing, you know, half marathons and just started liking that and just started liking that I, when I, cause I used to, I travel normally in normal world, I would travel mm-hmm. a fair bit. So it's the easiest thing to do uh, when you go to a different city is just throw on your runners and go, go for a run. So yeah, so that's when I, I started it was really here and I've never been an athlete uh, uh, or anything like that. I've just been me, average middle-aged guy. So you've been running, you, you said half marathons and you've, you've run the Boston marathon. I did. So I've, uh, I actually ran it twice. Okay. So the, as part of, uh, you know, you remember the uh, bombings happened obviously in 2013 right. and living here that had a big impact on me. So 
I actually got into the lottery in New York City. Okay. And in 2013, I thought, oh, I'll run that. And then I finished it, crossed the finish line, said, never doing that again. <laughs> Absolutely never. But then I got thinking, there was so much excitement about people wa wanting to restart the marathon that I thought, I wonder if I could run the Boston Marathon. And so I put my head down and set a goal. And this, this is something I like to do, and I do it in work and do it in uh, life, is, okay, well, I'll set a goal. So you remember, you know, I put the post-it note of I wanted to get the top mark in Canada. So this time... I wrote the time down. I wrote the time three, three twenty-two. That was going to be my finish time. I needed three twenty-five to qualify. And so I, I went to—you'll never guess this—of all places, I decided I was going to run it in Fargo. There you go. <laughs> I mean, if there's any place to run a marathon, Fargo is the place. Fargo. What is the flattest place I could think of to run a marathon? So anyway, I did Fargo. it. Fargo. Fargo. And so the coolest thing was. I was running the marathon and I turned down the last street. I think it's Broadway in, in Fargo. And 200 yards ahead was the finish line. And as I got closer, the clock switched from 321 to 322. And I finished in 322.30. So I qualified. And I ran it in 2015, ran Boston in 2015. Worst weather in 10 years. So we'll fast forward a bit here. I was done with marathons. Why would I ever do that again? Then I read a newspaper article saying that the 2018 Boston Marathon was going to be on April 16th, my 50th birthday. So I thought, what better way to celebrate your 50th birthday than run 26.2 miles? Right. Yeah, everybody likes to do that. So I trained and I qualified again in Houston, flat <laughs> uh, place. Anyway, so I got to run it. In 2018, unfortunately, I was injured in the training. So April 16, 2018 comes up. Everybody's really excited for me to run the Boston Marathon on my 50th birthday. And wake up, it's the worst weather in the marathon's history. Uh, 25 to 40 mile an hour headwinds. Um, it felt like uh, three Celsius. That's my Canadian, sorry. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a 33 Fahrenheit. Um, and uh and pouring rain and oh. i it was the first time ever i was in the starting corral and this sense of dread so i no longer had the visualization this is when i realized how important this is i couldn't visualize all i could think of was the dread of the only way out of this is to run 26.2 miles to boylston um and so I had a great time. I had bibs on my shirts that said it was my 50th birthday. So thousands of people sang to me and gave me kudos. But I was dying. And I hit miles just before mile 17. I saw my family and I still couldn't believe that I said it. But I said, you know, I'm done. Let's go celebrate. And I, for the first time ever, walked off a race course. And, uh, and I was like, hmm, that was a strange thing to do. So. I, 100 days later, I got better and I trained and I went to that exact same spot and I started from there and I finished the last 9.7 miles of the marathon. And so I think my time of 100 days, three hours and 45 minutes makes me the slowest Boston Marathon finisher ever. <laughs> Unofficially. Unofficially. <laughs> Unofficially. That's a great story. <laughs> I, I just call, we should find out from Guinness. If yeah, I'm going to talk again <laughs> for, 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 for a world record. But I love the determination. I mean, so it, was it a hamstring injury that was that was a back? 
Um, age? No, it was uh, it was a it was Achilles. Uh, I had Achilles, and then just you know, had it been a nice day, I probably could have just walked it, and I just mm-hmm. would have been fine. But in those conditions, like, oh my gosh, I can't be out here. I don't want to be out here for two more hours, <laughs> limping my way through. Well, so uh, yeah, so it's you know, it was one of the happiest days and one of the saddest days all in one. But you know, it's you just got to kind of to our our discussion today. You just got to sometimes roll. With what you've got, and uh, you know, it was another one of those yes, yes, and and no because, uh, and I still kind of came off saying, you know, I, when I did did the did not finish, it was yes, and I get to now go celebrate and 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 I'll be healthy and uh, I'll finish this again at another time. So that is the beauty of improv because it's really uh, a failure is held at bay, uh, and it, it's it's okay, especially if you're injured and you know if you. Yeah, I need to come off the course, but I love the fact that you got did all that, but then came back from that spot, finished. I'll be a hundred days, <laughs> but you weren't going to let that go. That was no. that was a goal. That was a determination, and you weren't just going to say, "Okay, well, that's it." Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the greatest part was when I finished uh, that Sunday after Sunday morning uh, there at the Boston Marathon finish line. And there were these tourists from, I can't remember where, I don't want to guess what country, but they saw me cross the finish line. And so they thought it was something. So they started cheering. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of a million people, I had four nice people from Scandinavia or something. But it was it was just as good. I liked it. It was an intimate setting. <laughs> it was an intimate setting. And it's a marathon that time. Yeah. So, no. So, yes, yeah, so that was that was fun. Well, Don, I have to thank you. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. I, 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 I love your approach, your attitude, your thought process. When this all gets passed, we have to meet at some point in time face-to-face with, without, without Zoom. Uh, I, I meet a lot of people, and for the first when I meet somebody for the first time, if, if this thought goes through my head, I have to follow through on it. I can see drinking a bourbon with you. <laughs> Just sipping on a nice Kentucky bourbon, laughing oh. and telling stories. I can't wait. No, I love your approach. Again, when I saw you speak in, uh, in Denver in, in June, um, you know, we had gone through presentations about capitalizing lease payments or something like that. And, and then you came in and you were, you know, one of the speakers in the afternoon. And I just immediately thought, oh, this, this resonates with me. This guy gets me. And uh, <laughs> I was, you know, I was so happy walking out of there and having had the chance to, uh, to listen to you. And it just, uh, you know, re-energized me a little bit in terms of, you know, this is what you can bring in the improv angle and just the comedic angle. Uh, I think it's critical for finance people to to have that, uh, you know, we can have such an influence on organizations, but to do it, you have to do it in a way that will connect. And uh, and I think humor is the thing that binds all of us. So, um, you know, I, I, the more we can do that, the more we can understand how we bring that, the more we'll be effective. And it's worked for me. It's obviously worked for you. And uh, um, I, you know, I'm eager to eager to see what I can do with it now in a in a CFO role. Um, hopefully, CFOs. Maybe it's chief funny officer. I don't know. I, I'll figure out something. Please make it chief funny officer. Don't make it uh, uh, CF knows. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely will not do that. But thank you for uh, having me on. This has been a true treat for me. I appreciate it. Thank you for, for putting me in contact with you. I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. Love meeting you. And I can't wait till we do it again. I would like to thank Don for his time, stories, humor, and sharing his perspective on the role of a CFO, especially during a pandemic. If every CFO had the same perspective, 
What a fun and inspiring working environment to grow professionally in the accounting profession. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Also, please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. I will conclude with an improv quote that is fitting for this interview. In improv, we say, be the improviser you want to play with. So, be that person in business that you want to work with. Ponder that for a moment. Thank you. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.